while our Lord was very compassionate to tax collectors and down and out sinners, Jesus spoke excoriating words for the religious leadership of Israel. And He held them accountable for greater knowledge of the truth of the Word of God. And it is to these that Jesus speaks this curse. Today on the Songtime broadcast, a powerful and poignant message as we look at the cursing of the fig tree and Jesus driving them out of the temple. A lot to be said here by Dr. Stephen Lawson as we point out what Jesus gets angry about in our worship. Stay tuned for that. But first, we'll continue our conversation with Randy Newman as we talk about how to be prepared to share our faith with those that we love. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. If you've ever had some uh, training in evangelism, you've probably left that training with a little bit of confidence. You've went out and you've tried it and you fell flat on your face. It happens to all of us, myself included. And as a result, we kind of feel like maybe our strategies are wrong. Maybe we uh, don't know enough. And that kind of defeatist mentality is why many Christians don't share their faith more boldly. Well, our guest today is Randy Newman, and he's written a book called Mere Evangelism, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to Help You Share Your Faith. And Randy, as you think about all of the ways that uh, we can learn from C.S. Lewis, he was a great apologist. He knew how to be winsome and charming as well as answer uh, objections to the Christian faith. We have to be a little more creative and a little more thoughtful at how we approach Uh, how we share our faith, because the world that we're living in is not going to accept uh, the patent answers that we uh, were trained on in our uh, various forms of evangelistic training throughout the years. Mm -hmm. Well, well, first, um, and and by the way, I I, I may need you to repeat the question, (laughs) because (laughs) um, it's it's a sad thing that's happening inside my head. Anyway, but but, but Lewis, Lewis said, he actually worked better if there was somebody else on the team with him in a sense and that he was the setup man and then somebody else came in to close um and so he was more the logical reasoning the oxford don the professor let me give you reasons why you should believe this but he said he he didn't think that he was the best at 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 calling for a response and that somebody else needed to come in and really preach. So he was, you know, the, the, the rational arguer, and then someone else came to preach. Although, I want to quickly say, Lewis did quite a good job of closing and, and calling for a response in uh, mere Christianity. There's a couple of places where he really, um, I, I think, puts a very, very clear presentation on, you really need to respond to this before it's too late. So, so I think Lewis himself saw that sowing and that reaping thing. Now I see. In, in all this time, now I forgot what your question was. What, what, where, where were, where were, what were you asking me? Well, in the, in the context, exactly what you're saying, I, I can resonate with that because I, I'm a kind of a philosophical guy too, and I think like Lewis in a lot of ways. I'm really good at kind of. Uh, um, approaching people with their objections and dealing with that and honoring the fact that they're really asking good questions where a lot of people really don't handle that well. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of our listeners struggle because whenever there are objections, whenever there are uh, pushback, especially from family members, that kind of just shuts down the conversation. You're really inviting us in in this conversation to 
look at the objections not as an affront on Christianity, but really genuine looking for truth. They're looking for answers. That's what C.S. Lewis was doing, and that's really how you're approaching evangelism for uh, how we can approach it. It's understanding where our, the person we're trying to witness to is coming from. Yeah, I think that, again, during a time of reaping, um, we might have not had as much patience for questions and objections, because we're seeing so many respond that when people ask questions, there there may have been, on the part of some of us, a kind of a knee-jerk, oh, the, we, we just need to kind of push that that question aside. It's not really that important. Let me just get around to the, you know, you need to believe in Jesus stuff. And I don't know, I don't think that was ever a good strategy, but... but um, uh, Lewis, I think, modeled a very, very different demeanor of, no, if they're asking these questions, um, we, we need to honor those questions and give them the best possible and most respectful answers. Is it, isn't that an interesting word thrown in there in 1 Peter 3.15 when he tells us to always be ready to give an answer? And, and you know, that's the, the Greek word apologia, where we get the whole idea about apologetics. But he says to do this, do this with gentleness and reverence, gentleness mm-hmm. and respect, reverence, treating the person as a person created in the image of God, being worthy of being treated with, with dignity. And I, I think part of the reason why Lewis was so good at that is because he had all of those objections that he, that he dug into for a very long time. He, he walked away from God probably when he was 10 years old, when his mother died. And he didn't then come to saving faith till his early 30s. That's a couple of decades to really dig in strong, strong objections. And his his rigorously trained mind made him very thorough in his unbelief. So he was treated with respect by Tolkien and Hugo Dyson and others who listened carefully to his questions and then and then they they gave good substantive answers. So there, there's a need, I think, for us to develop all of those muscles, if I can use that analogy. We've been talking with Randy Newman, the author of Mere Evangelism, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to share your faith with those that you love. You can find out more information about his book by giving us a call. It's 508 362 7070. It's 508-362-7070. It really is an amazing resource. And if you want to get a copy for yourself, let us know. Again, give us a call, 508-362-7070. This is one of those resources and one of those reminders that this is a season we ought to be thinking about how we're preparing to share our faith with those that we love. It's on their mind already Uh, We need to make sure that it is on our tongue. Well, as we're thinking about uh, the call that we are to worship God, and part of that is by sharing our faith. That's one of the forms of our worship, by the way. We're looking now in Mark chapter 11, at these days leading up to the cross and the empty tomb. Each week, looking at one of the significant days of Holy Week, we find ourselves on this Monday following Palm Sunday, where Jesus curses a fig tree and then goes into the temple, rampages, and drives people out. Uh, This is an angry Jesus, not the one that we're most familiar with in the Gospels. And that stands out for a very particular reason. In today's lesson from Stephen Lawson, he'll point out that contrast. We are typically seeing 
Jesus as the gracious, loving, caring. Why is he so angry? Well, we should take notice. Here is a a great message from Stephen Lawson. This now leads to the third and final heading that I want us to note. The condemnation of the fig tree. Our Lord has seen it. Our Lord has approached it. Our Lord has inspected it. Our Lord has sized it up. And now our Lord pronounces a curse upon the tree. So we read in verse 14, He said to it, Jesus actually spoke to the tree. And so by this we we learn that the fig tree becomes an object lesson for some greater truth to be given to us. Uh, Jesus addresses the tree in order to teach spiritual truth to the disciples and to us. And so, He said to it these commanding words. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. By these words, Jesus is pronouncing judgment, irrevocable judgment upon the tree, and most specifically, the judgment upon this generation of Israel. Now, how interesting when Jesus is in Galilee. He is extending much grace, much goodness, and much much kindness to those around As our Lord goes to Cana of Galilee, He changes uh, water into wine and He heals the sick as He travels throughout Galilee. And He offers Himself full of grace uh, to those far and wide. But Jerusalem is the nerve center for the religious establishment of the day. Jerusalem is where the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees are. Jerusalem is where the temple is. Jerusalem is where the Torah is. Jerusalem represents the spiritual leadership of Israel. And while our Lord was very compassionate to tax collectors and harlots and prostitutes and down and out sinners... While our Lord was full of mercy and full of grace and long-suffering for those who had been beaten down under the blows of life, toward those who had the Word of God and who knew the Word of God and who played church and who played religion and were full of pride and arrogance and hypocrisy, Jesus spoke excoriating words for the religious leadership of Israel. And He held them accountable for greater knowledge of the truth of the Word of God. They were people of privilege with every opportunity to know the truth. And it is to these that Jesus speaks this curse. And it is a curse that will fall upon the head and it will flow down to the entire nation. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And it speaks of our Lord's condemnation upon this generation of Israel 
who had the greatest exposure to the light of the knowledge of the truth in his own coming into this world. And there will be an execution of this curse in 70 A.D. when the entire city of Jerusalem will be leveled and destroyed and not one stone will be left upon another in the temple. And our Lord will use the invading Roman army to bring down the holy city and the people of God will be dispersed out of their land and they will be a people without a home for the next virtually 2,000 years because of this curse that our Lord is speaking on the people of Israel because they are rejecting their Messiah in the full knowledge of the truth. It is like staring into the noonday sun, but a few feet off the surface of the sun and rejecting the full knowledge of the truth. Again, I want to say, our Lord reached down to lift up the tax collectors and the out-and-out sinners and the, the, the prostitutes and those who were ensnared in all kinds of sin and who had virtually no knowledge of the truth. Our Lord was so gracious and so long-suffering. And He would say to them, your sins are forgiven, sin no more. But to those who were the Pharisees, and to those who are the scribes, whose headquarters were right here in this holy city, Jesus would say to them, you brood of vipers, you dead men bones, you who have corrupted the way of salvation. It is this curse that is brought down upon the head of the city of Jerusalem. And you'll note the end of verse 14. And His disciples were listening. You bet they were listening. They were hanging on His every word. Just as I trust you are hanging on His every word here today. They were really listening. As a result of these strong and shocking words that our Lord has spoken. What is it that makes worship uh, something that angers Jesus in our day, even now? Well, I have to tell you, it, it's not formalness. Uh, I think that we in our culture today really um, kind of recoil at old, stuffy, formulaic worship. But if you look at Jesus and the worship that style that he had as he was walking on this earth— you'll have to understand that God actually established the form of worship, and really, ultimately, God's the only one who gets to decide what is acceptable and not acceptable worship. Sometimes we like to uh, change up our worship. We like very contemporary styles, and sometimes that means that we're throwing out the baby with the bathwater. No, God really wants us to worship Him in the way that He wants to be worshipped. That does not mean that we can't have new songs. It doesn't mean that we can't have uh, new elements in our worship, but we must first and foremost consider what is it that makes God angry? What is it that upsets Jesus about our worship? 
And the most important, the underlying element of what what Jesus is getting angry at, especially here in the the worship in the temple, as well as this symbolism of him cursing the fig tree, is this idea of external worship, uh, of showiness of worship that is lacking real substance. It's lacking confession. It's lacking thanksgiving. It's lacking a proclamation of the gospel. It's very easy for us to to assume that uh, we're doing everything right. It's the people down the street and the church that we don't go to that's got all of the problems. The truth is we all must evaluate our own hearts in worship. My dad used to uh, use this as an illustration. He'd get uh, some binoculars and he'd, he'd, he'd pull them up in the pulpit and he'd say, you know, if, if I had binoculars that could see into your heart, what would I see? And the truth is, many of us fall short even in our own expressions of worship. We, we need to make sure that we're, we're clean, that we are washed as we're confessing our sins and He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've got to make sure that we're walking in righteousness, that we're walking in truth, that we're walking in fellowship with one another. And ultimately, that we are proclaiming the truth of the gospel, that we're not watering it down. We're dealing with sin and we're dealing with the true nature of worship, and we're approaching God in a manner that is pleasing and honoring to Him, that He has already established for us. And then ultimately, that we are making all of this for the sake of the kingdom, advancing His kingdom through evangelism and spreading the good news to those who are lost. A lot to be unpacked here, but ultimately, a lot to be encouraged by as well. The God who has begun this good work in you will bring it to completion. He will uh, bring all of that fruit to harvest. He will will bring that grain to its bud. And I hope that you are growing in closer conformity to Christ. If we've been able to encourage you, I hope that you'll let us know. Write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call, 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. But don't forget to tune in again tomorrow as Dr. Stephen Lawson actually has a, an encouragement for us to bear the fruit of the gospel. Let us day by day Remain in a posture of humility. And when the Lord comes to inspect us, may He find much fruit. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBryne, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Mark 10, 43-45. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many.